0: You're listening to Monster of the Week with Timothy from ProDM, and this is a very special episode because I have a very special guest with us here today. Please welcome my good friend and creative partner, Kate Engie, the mummy enthusiast. Say hi, Kate. Hello. You might have heard the mummy enthusiast and thought, oh cool, they're doing an episode about mummies. I love mummies. But we were actually not talking about the d and mummies today. We are talking about THE mummy, the 1999 Steven Summers film.
1: It's my favorite film, so I'm just going to give you a play-by-play of the entire film as if you can't see it.
0: I'm closing my eyes and I'm picturing it. Okay,
1: so the Universal logo is spinning in it and it's blue like normal, but then it starts to turn sepia toned and kind of deteriorate as if mummy wrappings are sort of coming off of it. Oh, it's aged, okay. like there's sand blowing around it. Yeah. We open on Thebes, City of the Dead. We see a carriage racing at night drawn by four horses with funny little plume hats. I okay. think they're funny. You can decide on your own how you feel about Pluto. Maps. Right.
0: <laughs> There's no end in sight. <sighs> You can find The Mummy on page 277 of the Monster Manual, the 5th edition Monster Manual. This is like a very classic monster, I don't think anybody doesn't know what a mummy is. It's sort of an undead tomb guardian. It's got like, the 5th edition version has like a slight suggestion of Egyptian mythology, but it's very careful not to like ever come out and make big assumptions like that. There are two varieties here. You've got like the standard mummy and then they have the mummy lord, which is like a a much higher CR kind of legendary version thereof. So the mummy itself is a CR3. It's got just a whole mess of resistances, but it does have one vulnerability, which I like and we'll talk about more later. It has two attacks. It's got rotting Fist, which deals some damage, but then also conveys the Mummy Rot Curse, and then it's got the Dreadful Glare, which can frighten or, in worst cases, paralyze a target. And then the Mummy Lord is a CR 15 monster. It's got a bunch of stuff. Boy, okay, it's got magic resistance, it's got spellcasting, Rotting Fist, like I said, and then it's got this cool rejuvenation power that's, like, tied to its like mummified heart and then in addition it's got five legendary actions which is pretty crazy for a fifth edition monster it's got like a blinding dust power it's got like a negative energy ability it's got this thing called blasphemous word which is pretty metal (laughs) and then it has in addition to that it has three layer actions and three regional effects all of those we're going to cover in a little bit more detail but they're actually pretty interesting and very non-standard for regional effects and layer actions
1: i have a question yeah what's your question kate what is the move speed? Does that count anymore in 5th edition? Oh, does that it matter? It
0: does matter in 5th edition. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, only 20 feet. So it's not heinously slow, but it's it's hmm. 10 feet slower than, than normal. Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, that's the mummy. We're going to talk about it in a lot more detail coming up. So Kate, you picked mummies for this week. Do you want to talk to us about why you picked mummies?
1: I think that what people deliberately do to preserve the deceased is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's said a lot in zombie movies and things how we treat our dead dif- differentiates us from, you right. know, monsters and things like that. So that's a thing that humans have been doing for centuries, and I th- I think it's fascinating, especially when it's intentional. And it wasn't just like someone that tripped in a bog or, yeah, died in a in a cave in a really arid environment. <laughs> you know, like people took care of this corpse
0: yeah exactly that's a good point that you make that like not all mummies are necessarily intentionally preserved right you can have accidental ones but i think that the ones that are the most interesting are the ones where people went to great lengths to preserve them in these very specific ways yeah mm-hmm. that's extra interesting so next section we're going to talk about the history of the mummy both in D D, uh, which is what i'll cover and then kate's going to talk about the history of mummies in folklore and mythology and horror movies So as you might expect, the mummy is a very classic monster that goes all the way back to 1977 in the original monster manual. And it appears pretty much the same in that version. Its touch basically contracts a disease. It's not explicitly called mummy rot, but it's very similar in that it reduces your maximum hit points. It can also paralyze with a glance, and it's got the vulnerability to fire, which is something that's in the 5th edition version and is one of my favorite things about it. There's this curious reference in the 77 Monster Manual about how the spell raised dead, if you cast it on a mummy, it turns them into, like, a living person. What? Which is crazy because, like, there's no—I've never seen that. I've never even thought about the idea of, like, what if you used— a raised dead spell on undead. This is a common theme across a lot of early D&D is there are all these weird footnotes to these like crazy outcase scenarios that would never happen where like in the instance in which someone pours strawberry jam over a mummy's heart, like, you know, like you have to envision like what what, is, what was happening in these games where these things were coming up. But now I kind of want to include something like that in a game. That, like the only way to like defeat the Lich or whatever is to cast resurrection on him because then he goes back to being sure. immortal or whatever. Like I've never yeah. thought about that. So that, that was really fascinating. Cool. And then in second edition, uh, they introduced the greater mummy which is basically the mummy lord they gave it spell casting like it has now <laughs> again there's another one of these weird notes where they say that like the embalming ingredients that they use is just like in the flavor makes them kind of smell like a spice cabinet i don't know why they felt like that was necessary to mention but there's a line about it so i love the idea of like being in a dungeon and you're like human right like <laughs> that's how you know there are mummies <laughs> you couldn't just say like they're aromatic spice, it's specifically that it smells like a spice cabinet. So.
1: Well. I have a, another question yeah, about please. these mummies. Can they talk?
0: Yes, they don't mm-hmm. specify that in earlier versions. Fifth edition specifically makes the point that they can speak, but they very rarely do. They almost have like programming, right, that they are they are put in place to do a specific thing. So they're inert until they're activated. It's usually like, you know, don't disturb the tomb. But they make a really interesting point about how they can be used as like repositories of lore. You can mummify someone and then basically just go back to them and ask them questions, right? Like in, hmm. in the ritual, you can kind of program, like, this is what I want you to do. So yeah, in some some cases they can speak. Yeah, it says they speak the languages they knew in life. So yeah, they can talk. That's hmm. crazy. And then third edition has both the, the mummy and lord and then fourth edition they actually went all out with mummy rod fourth edition had these really complicated rules for disease that i, I actually kind of liked but they had different versions of mummy rod depending on how like powerful the mummy was that infected you so like arguably maybe a little bit too a little too complicated but i thought it was cool <laughs> i don't think your character in our fourth edition campaign ever got mummy rod there were a couple of mummies in our game but they i don't think they ever really infected anybody so, uh,
1: yeah, that's probably one of the few that I didn't actually get. Oh,
0: there were a lot of diseases no, no. in my fourth <laughs> edition game because I kind of <laughs> liked how the diseases worked. And then fifth edition is actually where this notion of the Mummy Lord's heart comes from, which I think is kind of cool. They talk about the notion that it's basically like a Lich's Reliquary, right? That, like, if you defeat a Mummy Lord after a certain length of time, it will kind of like reform sort of as sand and then like would come back to its previous body. Hmm. which is cool and like it really links them to the lich and it kind of makes this idea of like the lich is sort of like the ultimate wizard undead and the mummy is kind of implied to be much more like a cleric because they're kind of divine and they have a lot of cleric spells and stuff like that i think that's cool Hmm. and i kind of wish it had been it also like really kind of brings in the canopic jar angle which is not only reference to the movie but also you know important especially if you're going with like the egyptian style of mummy Mm -hmm. yeah but that's them in fifth and then the last thing I'll say is that in terms of settings that they appear in, they are most notable in both FR and Ravenloft. They're kind of a generic monsters, so there's not a lot of, like, specific lore about them. But Forgotten Realms does do that thing we talked about where they may have this whole, like, it's mummies is almost like a, like a subcategory. There's, like, bog mummies and salt mummies huh. and ice mummies. That's <laughs> neat. Yeah, it is cool, right? Like, I think that they're kind of different flavor-wise because, again, a bog mummy is probably an accident and less deliberate. <laughs> sure. But there's this there's this creature, Kate. It's it's called the crawling apocalypse. And it's yeah, I know it's it is a giant mummified octopus that lives in the desert.
1: (gasps) Oh, my God.
0: I don't know why it exists, but I'm very glad that it does exist.
1: What a cool name.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's definitely the The crawling
1: apocalypse
0: for sure. Dang. Lastly, Ravenloft. Uh, notably has one of its domains of dread is called Harakir. And, and there's a mummy lord in that named Unctopot, uh, who's got kind of a cool thing. Uh, his thing is that he wants to be mortal, and he appears as mortal, but only during the day. And then kind of like at night, he turns back into like his horrible desiccated form. So he like rules over his r- like hmm. territory as like a pharaoh, right? But then at night he has to retreat back into his tomb because he's actually all desiccated. That's the history of the mummy in sort of Dungeons & Dragons. I'm very curious though, Kate. Uh, to hear about the broader history of the mummy. Would you mind talking to us about that?
1: Yeah, I can give you an extreme cliff's notes. I'd love it, of... yeah.
0: I feel like it's a long history, right?
1: Yeah, it is. The first being they're technically calling a mummy is in Spirit Cave, Nevada. Okay. And it was, it's about 9,400 years old, but it's, I, I think it's contested on whether it was actually a mummy or just sort of an accidental preservation. The Chinchoro mummies are kind of the first deliberate mummies that have been discovered and that was about 720 BCE oh wow okay um that's in northern Chile and southern Peru and that was all genders and even children and some of those bodies um you can tell that cannibalism was um (laughs)
0: like performed on them yeah
1: yeah which it's it's not sure you know if it was part of the ceremony or if it's a family thing or right. if they like slayed these people and
0: yeah weird okay
1: yeah so those are the oldest mummies and then, of course there's ancient egyptian mummies and they're just most popular because they had such a process
0: mm-hmm. and they
1: really defined and refined how you mummify a corpse in a really dignified and fancy way and right you know they had such a hoopla about <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you think
1: You're that's the word they
0: used you think they called <laughs> yeah, it a hoopla?
1: A uh, well, hoopla has origin yeah. root words in... Um, <laughs> Ancient Greek defined, yeah. <laughs> so, hoopla. Uh, the word hoopla. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, just the amount of paraphernalia that they would be buried with drew the attention of a lot of explorers and when these sites were not first but like largely excavated in the early 1920s and 1930s by largely European populations mm, yeah. <laughs> just kind of like you know just skirting around the word gravediggers because they did right. it in broad daylight and they I don't know. And it was like for like science
0: right you know like they yes. thought it was to preserve it as though it wasn't perfectly well preserved the place that Correct. it came from yeah cool. Yeah
1: that it was just okay to do this. People would you know they'd pay great um money to have an ancient egyptian mummy displayed in their home like Aww. they would have these shipped to their houses and they would just be a mummy hanging out like it was a parlor thing for people to just display that's and show so fucked or, up
0: but like yep. that's that's honestly from a DD angle like what a what a way to do a mummy in like a non-tomb scenario like you go over to someone's house and they've just like oh yes i've had this on loan from the museum <laughs> right and then right attacks at night like that's actually pretty cool yeah. I might have to steal that. That's neat.
1: Yeah, they'd have mummies hanging out. People would sell ground-up mummy bones as a powder for <sighs> other people to ingest. What? Or use as, like, cocaine and stuff. Like, like people were all about eating mummy bones and stuff because they're all messed up. Crazy? Yep. And then the curse comes from, I mean, people started feeling you know, weirdly bad about just oh. <laughs> stealing all of this stuff from Egypt. That's
0: it's and, weird. Why uh, would they feel that I way? Oh,
1: right. So there was a man named George Herbert. He financed the excavation of King Tut's tomb, and he was the first one to sure. like do this. So he was the first person to quote die of the curse quote, but really, it's just he tore open a mosquito bite while shaving, and he died of blood poisoning. <laughs> But it was shortly after the excavation, so wow. everybody tied it to this curse because they're like, "Oh no, King Tut, he's coming to get them." And that's so dumb, right?
0: Yeah, it it's is. crazy how much we think like this whole monster exists because a guy. Cut himself on a mosquito? Oh, wow. Yeah, and people
1: wow. felt bad, so they just, like, made it a thing. And they're like, we should stop doing this, but only because we're afraid of the mummy's curse, not because what we're doing is wrong, obviously.
0: Right. <laughs> no morality entered so, into it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
1: Um, Yeah, so that's how that curse happened. And then the movies, wow. you know, came about in the early 1930s when other monsters were popular and Universal was, they had their monster package of films.
0: <laughs> yes, the werewolves and And the mummy's one of the classic ones right with the wolf man yeah totally cool like that's very exhaustive i I guess i was imagining more of like yeah they were in egypt or whatever i learned a lot from that talk that's awesome (laughs) Mummies are
1: interesting
0: (laughs) they're very interesting (laughs) speaking of mummies being interesting the next section we're going to talk about the things we like about the fifth edition mummy and why we think it's a good monster so stay tuned The first thing I'm going to say that I like about The Mummy in both versions in 5th edition is a small thing, but I think it's something that I've harped on this podcast about before. It has a vulnerability. It has vulnerability to fire. They both do. Hmm. And I have this high horse about how I think that there are more monsters in D&D that need to have vulnerabilities. You know, you don't want your monsters walking around with a big sign, you know, like, this is my <laughs> weak point. But like a vulnerability is a great way to speed up a combat. Mm-hmm. And it's a great way to reward a player for... Being clever, right? Like, if they put together, like, okay, if I'm the Dungeon Master, I'm describing, like, how dry and desiccated these mummies are and they've got these wrappings, right? And you think, oh, I wonder if they're flammable, and you toss a firebolt that one, right? And it deals double damage. Sure. You're rewarded for that. You, you, you're clever. You engage with the fiction. There are, like, vanishingly few vulnerabilities in d d right now, and I kind of think that that sucks. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, so many monsters have, like, resistances or immunities that, like, yeah, you're right. It will shorten a combat. But honestly, is that such a terrible thing, right? Right. If 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 a player gets to feel cool, so I think that these are very flavorful vulnerabilities. It makes narrative sense, and fire is a really common thing that a lot of players have.
1: I was gonna ask you why you thought that they chose fire, but you kind of like talked about that because like of the conditions they're normally found in, right, and stuff.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a a cheeky reference to the wrappings, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that like they're covered in these like dry cloth wrappings and they're also so desiccated right it feels like they would just go up like kindling like they'd be easy easy to burn in a fight yeah so i like that i think more monsters should have vulnerabilities but that's just me um i'll talk about it more almost on every episode of this podcast so (laughs) get ready the next thing i like about them is the mummy lord in particular has like a huge swath of legendary actions and lair actions and regional effects it's crazy and they're all really unique a lot of legendary actions and other monsters tend to be stuff like it makes an attack Whereas these legendary actions are really like unique. So let's talk about these. And Kate, I want your expertise here because I want to know if any of these legendary actions appear in the 1999 <laughs> Stephen Summers Mummy film because I think it. that's kind of what they're drawing inspiration from. Sure. About. So the first one's called Blinding Dust. Blinding Dust and sand swirls magically around the mummy lord. Everyone within a certain radius has to make a Constitution save or be blinded. Yes. Is it in the mummy? It is. Yes. In Hotep
1: at Great. a couple different points, he makes basically a haboob happen, and he just like swallows people in sandstorms. And he travels uh, kind of by sand. A
0: haboob. What's It's a like ha-boob? a wall
1: of sand that happens in desert countries it's kind of like a, a tidal oh. wave of sand and it's like a big uh just like know that yeah it's a natural occurrence and so he creates a couple of these at strategic moments but he also travels in like a sand dust cloud
0: that's coming up you oh just wait. crap what? oh i love that though like you're dropping the lore so he's got one called blasphemous word it utters a blasphemous word everyone within a certain radius that hears it has to make a con save or be stunned mummy in the mummy or not in the mummy um
1: not in the mummy
0: Okay, that's cool. No worries. It kind of plays with that notion of it being like a cleric. I'm into it.
1: He does, like, revive, like, his lower priests when he's on his home turf. Like, he Mm. says something and brings them, you know, kind of... their reanimated corpses to life so that they can fight for him. I don't... You know, it's not the same, but it is his, like...
0: I was looking at the spells to see if there's any kind of a like animate. Oh, there is animate dead. Yeah, third level spell. So he's got that. There you go. Yeah, in in the mummy. He does. His next one is called channel negative energy. The mummy lord magically unleashes negative energy then 60 feet can't regain hit points until the end of the mummy lord's next turn. In the mummy, doesn't really feel like no, it. No,
1: I mean he does some douchey things which could be considered releasing negative energy,
0: but it's I think it's, it's very like different. It put, putting out bad vibes in the energy in the universe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> gotta get it out of him so he can have a better day. He's
0: putting it out there. Okay. So not in the mummy. Oh. Their last legendary action is the whirlwind of sand, oh. which you already predicted. Yep. Magically transforms into a whirlwind of sand, moves up to sixty feet and reverts to its normal form. You know, while in the form it's immune to damage, whatever, it's sand. But we're not even halfway through we got a whole bunch oh, more shit okay maybe. so those are his five legendary actions but then it's got three lair actions so one of them is each undead creature in the lair can pinpoint the location of each living creature within 120 feet human sight basically mm-hmm. anything like that in the mummy it feels
1: kind of accurate like the goons that he brings back to life seem to know where in the tomb to find mm. these people however it could also be because O'Connell likes firing guns and has no stealth. Oh, well, so. yeah.
0: <laughs> True. Okay. Okay. So that's that's a maybe. It's a maybe, right? yeah. This one, probably not. Each undead in the lair has advantage on saving throats against effects that turn undead until initiative count 20 on the next round. So not so much. This one, almost certainly not. But I think this is my favorite of the lair actions. The mummy can essentially, if anyone tries to cast a spell, of fourth level or lower, the mummy can make them make a saving throw. And if they fail, they take necrotic damage equal to the spell's level. So, it, like, they're racked with pain. Like, if they try mm-hmm. to call to the gods, you know, it's this kind of interesting thing where the mummy, like, no, you know, your god doesn't live here kind of a thing. Which I think is very flavorful and cool. Yeah. I'm imagining it doesn't show up in the mummy because no one's really a spellcaster. No, not yeah. really, yeah. No worries. So the regional effects is our last section of the of all of these abilities they have. And then we'll kind of do a summary. Jeez. I think these ones are very mummy. So food instantly molders and water instantly evaporates when brought into the lair. Non-magical drinks are spoiled wine turning to vinegar, for example. Does anything like that happen
1: in the mummy? Not that it's stated. No, well, he does bring uh, about the ten plagues.
0: Exactly. You're right. Yeah. Okay,
1: yeah. You're That's right. what I was thinking.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. he's got one of the spells here is the in, is insect plague, specifically. Sure. Which, like... I feel like it has to be a reference to that, right? To the locusts? Because right. there are locusts in that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're the okay. first plague
1: that shows up. And then, Sick. yeah, the water okay. and rivers turn to blood is the next one.
0: Divination spells cast within the lair by creatures other than the mummy have a 25% chance to provide misleading results, as determined by the DM. If the divination spell already has a chance to fail, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, basically, it can, like, mess with prophecy and divination. Is there any, like, prophecy stuff? That Not is so much prophecy.
1: Like, there's, it's just okay. them reading from competing Books of the Dead and Book of the Living. Right. So, like, it could just be, like, a misread in the book, but nothing mm, that's, yeah. like, okay. prophesizing.
0: Uh, and this last one I think might be relevant. So, a creature that takes treasure from the lair is cursed until the treasure is returned. The cursed target has disadvantage on all saving throws. It lasts until removed curse is cast. Uh, what do you think? In the film, is there any mention of the mummy's curse?
1: They do call to the curse and um, when the canopic jars are taken each person who took one is then hunted down and harvested for organs so that he can regenerate so yeah so I
0: think yeah kind of some of that works And I think even, like, you talked about the history of it before, but, like, that almost feels like more of a historical reference, right, (laughs) to King Tut and the guy who who cut his mosquito bite (laughs) while shaving and died of the curse. Yeah. The dreadful curse. Okay. Cool. So the point is, we're going through all those. Thank you, Kate, for indulging me. I would say it's, like, 40% of them were in the film and 60% maybe not, somewhere in there. It's almost half the point is, is that, like, with monsters like this, with these legendary monsters in D&D, you always really want to have this kind of, this aura of weight and gravitas around them. And, like, I don't think any of these legendary actions or layer actions or regional effects are replicated anywhere else. Like, they're all unique. They all feel really good. Like, I you could absolutely see... A whole adventure, maybe even a whole campaign, based around one of these mummy lords as the villain, because of all of the cool things they can do, even to the players, like outside of their sort of reach, right? Like all these regional effects. I think that's great. I think it's really flavorful. I think it's this big. It feels like a campaign villain, and I love that. So, ten points to Mummy Lord.
1: Why do you think the the mummy is so special?
0: I just think it has such a history in a Mm -hmm. way that almost like an aboleth or something doesn't have, and then there's no other monster in that space. You know, like Mm -hmm. a powerful undead with like this kind of biblical feel. Nobody else really does that. So I think it's cool that like they really kind of flex with this monster. That makes (laughs) it exciting. Great. And the last positive thing I'll say about the mummy is I think in general, the lore is pretty good. I think that they do a good job of explaining, at least the lore is presented in the book of why a mummy would be there, why you would encounter a mummy, how mummies work. I really love, there's a little bit here about undead archives. The idea that, though they seldom bother to do so, mummies can speak and they are sometimes served as undead repositories of lost lore, that you can be consulted by the descendants of those who created them, right? Like, I love the idea of a mummy that isn't a threat in combat, but is, you know, like a lore master or a witness to an ancient event. Like, imagine an encounter where you have to go into a tomb, not to kill a mummy, but to ask it questions, right? It knows things about the ancient world, right? And like, Is it evil? Maybe, but it was put here for a specific purpose to answer these questions, right? Like, I like that they don't just, they give you not only all the cool stuff about the heart and, you know, them as undead guardians, but they bake in, you know, you don't need to just use this as a monster. These were people. And it's kind of about like their agenda and their agency, not just like they're slavering zombies, right? They're intelligent and they were put there very deliberately. There's like purpose baked into a mummy, Mm -hmm. particularly these kind of Egyptian style ones. So I think that's cool. It's a good job on their part. Yeah, I think the lore is pretty solid. Next, we're going to talk about the things we don't like so much about the mummy right if we come back. So this is a small quibble, let's start with something really small, in terms of things I don't like. The mummy's basic attack is called Rotting Fist. And I just don't like the idea of monsters that punch people. I think there's only a couple of monsters where punches seem appropriate and the mummy just really doesn't do it for me. Like, it's not a huge thing, but like the image that conjures is like a you're ball- like a mummy bawling its desiccated fist and just like clocking you in the jaw. Oh. And like
1: that's, you know? I guess. What you think, I Kate? thought that it was more like them reaching out to try and grab you and then that would be, that would affect you. I never, I guess I didn't right. see it as like a bludgeoning <laughs>
0: <action>. <laughs> right but that's what it does right weird it's, it's, it deals bludgeoning damage that's like a small amount of bludgeoning damage and then it like confers the mummy rot where like it kind of feels like yeah it should grab you and then when it wherever Scratch it touches at you or
1: whatever not oh like yeah nails you. would be yeah. cool
0: yeah especially if you do that thing where like they grow out
1: yeah right
0: because like nails wouldn't cut so they'd have these like long horrible like zombie nails like that'd be great so I, I would say yeah, lose rotting fist, make it about their nails, mm-hmm. and then that also is like, it's abrading the skin, so if you're trying to, like, get disease into the bloodstream, mm-hmm. like, that's going to be way more effective than, like, socking somebody in the, like, just, I don't yeah. know. Rotting <laughs> fist is the wrong imagery. <laughs> it's very goofy, I agree. And I think something about adding rotting fist to it, where it's like, most undead that have attacks like that are just, it's just called a slam attack, like, zombies have slam, because mm-hmm. you're just kind of hitting them. Right. But something about specifically calling out that (laughs) it's a fist just takes me out of it immediately. So (laughs) I would change that. That's a small flavor thing. My next thing is that the mummy as a CR3 monster is a little underwhelming. It's got a lot of resistances, but it doesn't have multi-attack. And it has to choose each round whether it does Rotting Fist or whether it does its Dreadful Glare attack. So, like, I would love to see a little bit more. For how high level they are as a monster, they just don't have a lot to do. So I would love to get a little bit more diversified. Maybe see some different types of mummies or, like, give them some other abilities. Maybe even give them a little bit of some of the Mummy Lord's, like, spellcasting stuff. I find the actual mummy itself to be kind of underwhelming. I love the Mummy Lord. Tons to do in that stat block. But the mummy itself...
1: Are they just, like, designed to be paired together? Like, the is the mummy basically just supposed to be kind of like a... You put a bunch of them up front...
0: The thing is, is that I definitely think that's kind of what they mean. But the CR, the challenge rating is three. They're way too high level to do that. Like, if you want them to be kind of mooks, they have to be much weaker. Mm-hmm. And then you could, you, could, you could use a bunch of them. You could use eight mummies or something. It's like, oh, crap. But eight mummies right now is going to annihilate a party that, you know, could actually stand to them. They're, they just exist in this weird liminal space between a minion And an actual monster.
1: They're they're too qualified to be a minion. They're they're not qualified qualified. enough to be a lord. So they're just. You're
0: exactly (laughs) right. Yes. It's like that post-college thing. They just graduated. (laughs) They just got embalmed, you know, and they're like ready to join the workforce. (sighs) But they're just a little too qualified. So I have a slight problem with that. I don't have a great fix, but we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. And then, lastly, and I really wanted to talk to you about this as well, Kate, because you've done so much research on the history of them. <sighs> I don't know how I feel about how they're presented here, from like a cultural sensitivity point. Like, do we think that these mummies, as presented in Fifth Edition, are appropriative? Does it feel like we're kind of demonizing Egyptian culture? You know, like how? Like, definitely, I think that's true. If you look at like not necessarily previous editions of D and D, but like the way that the like the West has kind of thought about mummies in Egypt, right? Like, it's easy to see some very yucky stereotypes. kind kind of get propagated. I think they do an okay job here, but it's there's just enough of that Egypt feeling that it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Like I feel like I would have to try to undercut that. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know, Kate, how do you feel about it? Do you think that like using a mummy is kind of inherently problematic or do you feel like there's wiggle room? Do you think you could use a mummy in a way that wouldn't necessarily ruffle any feathers?
1: I mean, I think you're right. If you can try and keep any kind of actual culture out of it, that you're going to be safer there. The trouble with ancient Egyptian flavoring as well is that because it was so ancient, it feels like it's such a departure from modern day culture that you could right. get away with it. I suppose you could make that case, you know, like... There is sort of this romance about ancient Egypt and how they lived and how they preserved bodies because it is so different than than what we mm-hmm. do now and what we're allowed to do now, you know, and, and that it was for mostly the elite and stuff like that. And and the right. legend of it, too, like what they believed about why it was important to, to mummify people in this way and for their afterlife. I feel like at least what we know about ancient Egypt, it, it's a little bit more celebratory. They want people to be set up. <laughs> the for their retirement plan in the afterlife like they want them to have cattle right. and all this nice stuff i don't know i think part of that's kind of neat too to really lean into
0: yeah that's that's really fascinating i hadn't really thought about it in that way but there is this undercurrent especially when you read the lore in 5e about it being like a dark ceremony and that like they're they're trapped you know between life and death but like what about the idea of like a radiant mummy, like a mummy that is that is preserved in like a sanctified way, yeah. not in kind of like this dark necromantic ritual? They can still be undead, right? Like they they don't live anymore. Mm-hmm. But the no, again, like kind of going back to that idea, they hint at it like the the lore mummy, right? Like we preserved this for like a sacred reason that isn't just like to punish tomb robbers, yeah. Which feels again very antagonistic to what an adventurer would be, right? Like I think if it has a failing here, I think it does a pretty good job of skirting the line. But mm-hmm. if it has a failing, I think it's classifying them specifically as being like. Evil, inherently evil, disgusting monsters. Like, could you have evil m- mummies? Of course. Mm-hmm. But I think presenting it as more of a like, it really depends on who mummified them and why. Mm-hmm. As opposed to just all mummies are evil inherently, right? Right. Kind of yucky. Even though they're undead, because it's kind of drawing on a real culture, probably something you want to avoid. Right.
1: right? Yeah. Maybe they're like yeah. not bummed out that they're dead. Maybe they're having a great time and they're just like cranky because you woke yeah. them up and they're like, I'm chilling in the afterlife with all my piles of that's, gold ooh. and my dogs and stuff that were buried ooh. with me. So get out of here.
0: What if that's a really fascinating idea? Like, let's yeah, let's get into improvements because I want to I iterate on that. That's really smart, Kate. If we, we have to think of three ways to improve the mummy based on what we just talked about i would change the fist to nails and scratching (laughs) we talked about that that's that's easy i mean you just do that in flavor that takes two seconds i would love to come up with like more types of mummy i think in order to make them more interesting either shift them into like a minion status or kind of like fr does like let's explore a bog mummy and let's explore an ice mummy and (laughs) let's do a crawling apocalypse because you know why the fuck not right it it exists (laughs) but then I love the idea, Kate, of a mummy that, like, what if mummies were just, like, the physical body, right, that they preserve that allows these people to like live happily in the afterlife so if you if you disturb them it's that like they are pulled from the afterlife back into their body and their body's all desiccated Mm -hmm. they can still talk to you but the the reason they're antagonistic is because like (laughs) that's rad yeah like they don't want to fucking leave like leave me alone so you can still have like an antagonistic relationship maybe it's combat maybe it's not but then again it makes them much more human it's like that's understandable that you don't like to be bothered sir (laughs) right or ma'am after you've involved yeah that's cool because then it it begs all these questions like why wouldn't they just bury them or destroy the bodies it's like they they the culture would have had some need to talk to them again maybe Mm -hmm. right or like to access them and this is the way they just like the the channel into the the afterlife that's really cool Mm -hmm. and it's also kind of different from you know egyptian mythology it makes it your own that's neat. That's that's something I would definitely consider putting in a campaign. What do you think, Kate? How else could we improve mummies from a cultural standpoint?
1: They've had some pharaohs, at least one notably that was a woman, who just mm. because they all had to be men, because if you were a pharaoh, you were basically god. So no one right. could question you. So there was one woman named Hatshepsut who, like, went into the temple with all of the ladies who were supposed to verify if you're a god. And she went in and she was just – she came out and she's like, yep, I'm a god. And um, Ra and all <laughs> all his boys are like, this is They're a god, like, so you yes, have to ma'am. listen. Uh-huh. So she ruled for a while and, like, mm. did good stuff. But then was, of course, wiped from history as soon as she was right was killed. Was still, I, th- I think, mummified and buried, but, you know, it wasn't nearly as grand as, as some of the other people. So it could be interesting to have someone who was, like – a leader at one point or under duress Mm. or like, you know, shouldn't have been or just something along those lines where it's like, you know, they were secreted away, but this happened to me or it's happening again or no I ruled during this period everything from when I died onward for history is wrong and like, they were preserved in secret. To like correct something later because they couldn't solve it then.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Or you can even do a thing where it's like if you're if you're trying to like we're trying to figure out when this event happened, like mm-hmm. this cataclysm or whatever, and like they've destroyed all the records. The only person that knows mm-hmm. is this woman because she was ruling then, but they destroyed all her statues right. and burned all the records. But she was still preserved because technically she was a pharaoh. So you have to right. like go find the tomb and ask her like, hey, what happened? Right? Like, what's that yeah. secret lore that we and need? She'd be yeah, pissed that's that cool. That she's like,
1: wait, so I died and they erased my name from history yeah and then she fights with you and then it's fun yeah that's cool
0: yeah exactly because again it's just like it's this ambivalence of are they evil are they not like they have Mm -hmm. their own agenda and it's not just like dichotomously black or white Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome i love that and i think that's the episode kate Great. How do you feel? Is there anything that we missed? Any other mummy related topics that we did not cover that you want to squeeze in here really quick?
1: I mean, I do really quickly want to talk about my love for the actual movie, The Mummy from 1990. Great. Let's let's do it. (laughs) We like hinted at it. I as a kid that grew up with Indiana Jones and um, Mm. the like and I love him, of course, but then I think I don't know. The Mummy is a similar vein where it's period and it's archaeological and uh, Rick O'Connell played by Brendan Fraser. My boy, Uh,
0: there it is. Kate promised me she would get one Brendan Fraser reference in at least, and there he is.
1: He's a much stronger character than Indiana Jones, in my opinion. We
0: can talk about that. Really? I think so. Oh, that's a different podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll Mm -hmm. just have to talk about about specifically why Brendan Fraser is better than Harrison Ford in every way.
1: That's not Um, what I. That's what Kate said. No,
0: and that's what she means. (laughs) Um, None of that. Well, Kay, I think that's our episode. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I, I knew that if we were going to talk about mummies, I was going to have to have you here because you're the the world's foremost expert
1: yes, on I, mummies
0: and mummification. I
1: think that is true. I know everything there is to know about mummies and mummification.
0: And you're my friend, so I believe you. No further questions. <laughs> monster of the week is a pro dm production you can follow us on twitter and instagram at xp webseries you can find kate enge on twitter and instagram at IMI Don quixote and if you like the show please consider joining our patreon campaign for one dollar a month you get access not only to early episodes of this show but also to brand new homebrew monsters every weekday you can find us at patreon.com slash xp webseries that's the letters x web series. The music used in this episode was Rainbow Ride and Waves by Azure Flux, licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike Creative Commons license. Check out their work at azureflux.bandcamp.com Thanks for listening!